Hello. Welcome to Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. I'm your host, David McHale. If this is the first time you are joining us, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, thanks for coming back. As we mentioned in our last podcast, uh, we are focusing our subsequent podcasts on the solutions that are specifically needed and also uh, the partnerships that are needed uh, in order uh, to see achievement of the sustainable development goals by the 2030 deadline. What are the innovative practices, the innovative partnerships that we need to see online and scaled to ensure that we achieve the promise of truly leaving no one behind. And we have a truly great uh, podcast episode uh, to be uh, that we are bringing on as part of that collection. There are an estimated 3 billion people in the world today under the age of 25. And approximately 1.2 billion are between the ages of 15 and 24, which accounts for 17% of the global population. And although this vibrant group has much to offer the world in terms of innovation, in terms of labor, and in terms of enthusiasm, they are disproportionately affected by high unemployment rates and represent 40% of the world's unemployed. In the Gambia, the youth unemployment rate is 38%. In Guinea, the occupation rate of youth went down from 57% to 41% between the years of 2007 and 2012. And in Niger, the inactivity rate is 35%, while in Senegal, it is 43%. These data points suggest that even during periods of economic growth, many economies have failed to absorb large youth populations into the labor market and have therefore failed to translate this economic growth into more and better economic opportunities for youth. Senegal, for example, has experienced an average GDP growth of almost 5% annually since 2010, along with a 3% average annual population growth. Yet despite this, the size of the working age population has increased and outpaced job creation, with a total of 30,000 wage jobs in the formal economy today, only a handful of the 269,000 new labor market entrants will gain access to the formal economy sector. Creating jobs for youth is a priority for both the European Union and the United Nations Capital Development Fund. And this episode of Capital Musings is going to explore how we have partnered in the Gambia, Guinea, Senegal, Niger, and Ghana to increase economic opportunities for youth and smooth their transitions from school to work. And as we air this, uh, in during the UN general, not just the UN General Assembly, but the 75th session of the UN General Assembly and reductively the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. This is an appropriate time to have this conversation and determine again, not just what needs to be done, but what are the innovative finance projects and activations that are already being done on the ground, including those that are the product of this great partnership between UNCDF and the EU that can provide an example that can motivate, that can inspire uh, these great interventions that can enhance youth financial inclusion throughout the LDCs and beyond. Uh, I am incredibly fortunate to have four fantastic panelists who could speak precisely to this issue. Uh, Ms. Corinne Salinas uh, works in interne- is the Cooperation Officer in International Aid for the EU Trust Fund for the Sahel and Lake Chad. Ms. Maria Luisa Trancoso uh, is the head of the governance sec- section for the European delegation in Ghana. 
Ms. Lumana Kamashi is program manager for the UN delegation in Gambia. And Ms. Maria Perdomo is the manager of the youth finance portfolio at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. It is a true pleasure and honor to have all of you on. And I can't think of a better group to have for this incredibly important discussion. Uh, I'm going to start with Corinne. Um, so let's start with financial inclusion. Um, how has financial inclusion fit into the overall strategy of the EU Trust Fund? And, and I'm going to ask that you specifically speak with regards to mitigating irregular, uh, irregular migration amongst youth. The European Union Emergency Trust Fund for Stability and Addressing Root Causes of Irregular Migration and Displaced Persons in Africa is implemented in three regions, and in particular across the Sahel Lake Chad region, the Horn of Africa regions, accounting for close to 26 eligible countries. Our region is a region that faces a vast number of challenges linked to extreme poverty, demographic pressure, security, and social and economic infrastructure. This is a region where low resilience to food and nutrition still remain very acute, especially now with the pandemic. This is especially worrisome for the youth, which makes up 60% of the general population. Youth of the region are thriving for opportunities that would allow them to stay with their families, the very opportunities that will allow them to find decent and respectable employment. The EUTF strategic line of actions focuses on providing answers through four axes of intervention. The first one is dealing with greater economic and employment opportunities. The second one is aiming at strengthening resilience of community, and in particular, the most vulnerable, including refugees and displaced people. The third one is dealing with improved migration management in countries of origin, transit, and destination. And the, lastly, the fourth one is dealing with improved governance and conflict prevention. It is under the Greater Economic and Employment Opportunities Acts that the EU and UNCDF I found a natural partnership. I must say particularly in the Gambia, in Ghana, in Guinea, in Niger, and in Senegal. With most of our EUTF economic development program in the Sahel and Lake Chad region, we looked at boosting youth employability through skills development, and at the same time, promote a local enabling environment for those willing to set up their businesses, including strengthening the existing financial providers. Micro, small and medium-sized enterprises are the main providers of employment in developing and transition countries. They are contributing to more than 80% of the labor market. Nevertheless, their growth is very often hampered by several constraints and lack of access to loans and microloans Financial services as a whole is recognized as one of the most challenging one. The Trust Fund for Africa has already directly supported more than 8,600 enterprises, small businesses in the region and facilitate better access to services and financial products in Senegal, Niger, the Gambia, 
Guinea and Ghana. So as you can see, financial inclusion for project beneficiaries is potentially bridging a critical gap in access to finance. Therefore, addressing this bottleneck alongside other labor market constraints, so, such as skills mismatch, is a big time saver for us. Indeed, financial inclusion is working as an accelerator towards supporting economic integration and boosting formalization process for the most vulnerable entrepreneurs and our unbankable beneficiaries. Those who are deprived from a wide range of financial services, such as saving, microloans, microinsurance, digital payment, digital transfer, and remittances. So if we are to help create opportunities for the youth, we need to ensure access to the necessary financial services and adequate training, including financial education, which will help them in either identifying or creating opportunities for themselves. Thank you for that thoughtful answer. I think it's a great place to start. Um, I think in that regard, particularly uh, stakeholders in the development space, what they always crave are not just impactful solutions, but really solutions that are replicable, and scalable, and transferable. So from there, I guess my question would be, are there any lessons or strategies from the current work with UNCDF that you, as a practice leader in the field, would like to see transferred to other countries or regions? Yes, most definitely. Um, the principle underlying our concept is to give to all beneficiaries the necessary support and guidance to be able to sustain themselves via self-employment, ensuring they become familiar with saving modalities, that they have access to a local bank account, that they are able to use digital wallets, for example. This will ensure they are better equipped to access microloans and credit if later they want to set up their own business. The model used in the work done with UNCDF in these various countries offer integrated services to youth and is fully complementary to other of our implementing partners. For example, in Guinea, with the Integra EUTF funded program, we are providing cash for work opportunities for youth where the salary payment is accessible in their own account through a local financial service provider. This allows youth not only to be part of the financial ecosystem, but also to be provided with affordable services that meet their particular needs. This service will then continue to be available to them even after the program ends. So we would like to see this type of unique and innovative models developed in other regions, definitely. And hopefully the experience from the Sahel region will indeed be leveraged by other regions. We can only hope for that. No, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let me turn to Lumana. Um, and specifically, let, let's shift our focus to the Gambia. So... The, the platform of partnership for uh, the EU and UNCDF and the Gambia is the Job Skills and Finance Program, commonly referred to as the JSF program. And this focuses on youth and women. Would you, would you mind just taking a few moments and telling us how the JSF program fits with the EU delegation's overall work uh, relating to youth and women? 
So the delegation of the EU in the Gambia um, actually acts as the interface between the European institutions and the government of the Gambia, as well as its population. So over the years, the role of the delegation has evolved in order to cover a wide range of issues. And the mandate of the delegation includes uh, to actively promote and inform about the values, policies and programs of the European Union in an open and equal partnership with the government and the Gambian population. To deepen the political dialogue on all issues of mutual interest and to strengthen the partnership to play a key role in uh, implementing the EU development cooperation activity. In the Gambia, under the um, development and cooperation activities, the EU is committed to ensure that uh, the work we do in the delegation is aligned to the country priorities, which are defined in the Gambia National Development Plan. And this uh, development plan is based on eight uh, strategic priorities, such uh, good governance, uh, stabilized economy, uh, the promotion of an inclusive and, and culture-centered tourism, uh, youth and women empowerment, job creation, private sector, and improved infrastructures. So as I said, uh, our program is aligned to those priorities, and we are focused on agriculture for economic growth and food security, governance, rule of law, security, uh, inclusive sustainable growth and job creation, uh, renewable energy, climate change, and infrastructures, amongst others. Uh, but all our programs, I must say, actually address gender equality and aim to enhance and strengthen the role of women uh, in particular. The European Union firm, firmly supports uh, gender equality and empowerment of women and youth by working towards the removal of the um, obstacles as uh, legislation, social norms, and gender stereotypes. The Job Skills and Finance Program for Women and Youth, uh, implemented by UNCDF in the Gambia, has been developed under the um, Inclusive Sustainable Growth and Job Creation Priority, where the program aims to uh, help stabilize the economic, social, and security situation of the Gambia, uh, during its uh, democratic transition by uh, facilitating the social inclusion and employment of youth and women with a specific emphasis on promoting gender equality and addressing climate change. Thank you for that. And it's very much the case. Um, I would also add that th that uh, the JSF program also leverages UNCDF's work in the financial sector uh, at the micro, meso and micro and macro levels. Going forward, how do you foresee deeper engagements with stakeholders in the financial inclusion space? So the, the EU remains particularly committed to ensure that uh, when we support projects and programs, we use an evidence-based policy approach. So this is even more uh, relevant, I must say, when uh, on the matter of financial inclusion, where although um, realities are plural and specific to each country, it remains very different uh, to build and popularize a uniform understanding of the issue. Financial inclusion means that individuals and businesses have access to useful and affordable financial products and services that meet their needs. The government of the Gambia is uh, committed to strengthen and deepen Gambia's financial sector to ensure that barriers in access to finance to the private sector, women and youth are eliminated. Um, by fin finalizing uh, its financial inclusion strategy as an important element for the country, the delegation will be keen to not only learn about the strategy, but also how we can uh, continue to support 
the key objectives and also continuously looking at uh, different partners. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to turn to uh, Maria Luisa. Um, I and and we're going to now shift towards Ghana. Um, in Ghana, uh, our program is less than a year old, yet it's advancing. Unfortunately, it also coincided with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. So given that, can you tell us how you've been able to move forward in this first year uh, with the onset of COVID-19 and the measures, the specific measures that are being taken uh, to reach youth? Indeed, the UNCDF program, uh, commonly known as AGREEN, was launched at the end of 2019. It, it aims to create greater economic and employment opportunities for youth, women and returning migrants by promoting and supporting business in the green and even circular economy. The European Union delegation to Ghana and its implementing partners are undertaking all necessary measures to adapt to this current situation of COVID-19. USCDF has NV teams, uh, despite the COVID-19 derailing travel, have been able to, to launch various activities virtually to jumpstart the program. And these range from uh, holding a virtual launch with pre-recorded videos of the EU ambassador, the USCDF executive secretary, and other key partners signing also a memorandum of understanding with the Ministry of Local Government and Rural Development and selecting district assemblies, and also conducting studies to help inform investments for the program. Yeah, granted, uh, COVID-19 has slowed certain processes, but uh, it appears that the European Union delegation and its partners have been able to maneuver through these challenges to ensure programs are up and running. UNCDF has undertaken different types of initiatives conducted online, such as webinar of crowdfunding platforms, completion of the supply and demand side study on financial services and selected partners. I'm really confident that uh, they will have some interesting results and hope they will be fully functional by the end of the first year in late 2020. We appreciate the note of confidence. Given that we, we did reference COVID, I'm curious, uh, how has COVID changed or shifted the program's initial plans? And if, if indeed such changes did occur, in what ways? Yes, COVID-19 has made us uh, to rethink of our strategy in Ghana and how to respond not only to the global pandemic, but also on how to refocus our current efforts in the wake of this current situation. Actually, at the global level, the European Union is involved in tremendous efforts against COVID-19. But this crisis has also reinforced our will to accelerate the ecological transition as announced in the EU Green Deal. It is in the same dynamic here for us, the European Union delegation to Ghana. And it's specifically true through the implementation of the Green Project. Indeed, the European Union delegation and its partners in Ghana are definitely following all government protocols, social distancing measures and guidelines. But at the same time, we are also making conscious efforts to identify initiatives and opportunities to help combat the virus and facilitate uh, early recovery. For example, UNCDF program. Under the support of local governance is supporting 10 district assemblies with an additional grant allocation to face the threat of the COVID-19. 
The districts have developed also plans on activities to be undertaken with this financial support. Some activities identified are in relation to the supply of water and sanitation services or supply of PPEs to communities and the health uh, directorate. Also concerning financial inclusion, UNCDF is developing chatbot systems for the cash for work beneficiaries, which will provide the specific messages on COVID-19, such as uh, how to mitigate health risks. From terrible ordeals and overwhelming challenges, may emerge extraordinary opportunities to build a brighter and better future. And the European Union with its partners such UNCDF and the people of Ghana is willing to seize these opportunities that the COVID-19 crisis is triggering. And we relish the partnership. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn now to uh, my UNCDF colleague, uh, Maria Perdomo. And, and I want to kind of take, let's take a, a broader view for a moment, uh, specifically in the context of the development finance architecture. So much of what UNCDF represents as an organization, so much of our value proposition relates to advancing changes in the development finance architecture. I mean, the critical problem that we always recognize, that we always talk about, is that the, the finite, where the finance flows are the scarcest happens to be the same areas uh, where the development needs are the greatest. So how can you change a development finance architecture that is not funneling finance to the areas that need sustainable development the most? And that's such a core, that, that is really the core driver of our work. How do we work to ensure that financing can reach the areas in the communities with those greatest needs? So Maria, what are the systemic or structural challenges as you see them relating to development finance, but that specifically impact youth um, in, in, in least developed country markets, or as we might call them, last mile markets? So thank you very much, David, uh, for this question. I would actually um, start by uh, highlighting some of the systemic challenges that I can see happening at the very institutional level, right? So for that, let me give you an example. Um, actually, a couple of years ago, we were providing some uh, technical assistance to one of our partners in Guinea. Uh, we've been working with them extensively in, uh, with uh, human-centered uh, design to really identify what, what, what are the needs uh, for, of young people and help them to also, uh, based on, the, on those needs, uh, design uh, products and services that respond to those needs. Interesting enough, the, um, that, that study uh, gave us some results that showed that uh, the youth that, were, that, that participated in the study actually had some collateral um, to, and they would be able to use that collateral. I would, it, it was either savings or some collateral from their own um, businesses. And interesting enough, after the study and after these findings, the institutions still um, insisted, insisted in developing some products that were just not reflecting though that reality on the ground, right? Uh, and they were arguing uh, some kind of prices because they say, oh, it's youth. Yeah, but the, the study showed that uh, these young people can actually have uh, the, the capacity to collateralize those, uh, those loans. So that shows you that there's a lot of 
preconceptions, assumptions from the financial service providers uh, that affect young people when it comes to uh, access to finance, uh, to access to finance. And so that's the very first thing that we need to help uh, financial institutions to change, right? Uh, through these kinds of studies, through technical assistance, we need to help them to really identify what is the business case uh, so that the institution does not always have to rely either on grants or guarantees to really de-risk the youth population, right? Uh, we really need to um, support uh, financial institutions to learn more about this target market, learn what are their needs and, and push them uh, and say, hey, this is, these, we, this, we may be able to reach them better through this way than the other one that we were uh, reaching. And those are, those are difficult things to change in institutions, I must say, uh, but it's not impossible. We have done it uh, in the past with, um, during the pilot of Ustart, we've worked with uh, almost uh, 10, well, with 10 financial service providers, and we have reached already almost a million uh, young people we have unlocked already $40 million in loans for almost 400,000 youth. And so that's huge. So I think that's, uh, that's the way to go. So that, and that, that could be the first step if you want, addressing those systemic challenges at the institutional level. But then the next step is obviously addressing systemic challenges at the market level, right? So once we've worked with a couple of, a few or a handful of partners, right, in each one of the markets that we're working, then how can we create really a demonstration effect and make sure that that business case for serving youth um, becomes appealing to other partners, to other financial service providers, so that we can further unlock uh, finance uh, for youth. And having said that, I think uh, technology and digital uh, provides an, a, an amazing opportunity to, uh, to help financial service providers to exactly build that business case. Um, and also help us more to use this experience uh, to create a real demonstration effect in the markets that we work. I think in that answer, it speaks so much to just, the, again, our, 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 our critical value proposition, including, and you mentioned demonstration effects. I mean, for UNCDF, creating demonstration effects of commercial viability in markets that are otherwise overlooked is so essential. Um, I'd love for you to just drill down a little more. Can you talk about the approach the program has taken specifically in the focused countries that we're speaking of? Right. Thank you, uh, David. Well, here, uh, let me first, um, um, yeah, start by saying that the current youth finance portfolio at UNCDF was developed um, having in mind the lessons learned of Ustart, um, which was the program that uh, we implemented from 2010 till 2015, right? And, and thanks to that program is that uh, we reached that million dollar, sorry, million young people that I was talking about in my previous um, uh, answer. Now, one of the main lessons learned of Ustart was actually uh, partnerships, okay? In Ustart, we were, if you want, sort of uh, just providing that financial or access to financial services for youth. 
Um, but it was not part of another, like if you want, of a, of a greater uh, framework of programs. Here, our mantra in this uh, new fi youth finance portfolio is always to go to go on partners uh, with partners with partners or on on a partnership model, and that's why um, uh, having joined forces with the EU has been so powerful because we were able to uh, I mean to join forces with others that are doing uh, very good work uh, with youth and that are just complementing the offer of UNCDF. Some of those partners are, for example, Enabel, uh, SNV, uh, ITC, um, maybe uh, what, um, AIX, they, the Italian uh, cooperation. And so that it has allowed us to really focus on what we do best, which is uh, unlocking private finance, right? Another thing is that uh, we use this savings-led approach, right? Uh, that leverages on models that accelerate access, uh, well, the, the, sorry, the asset accumulation process for the youth. So one of the things that we learned through the pilot of Ustart is that um, young people can save. And for that, we have right now $30 million in savings that were mobilized by the 10 financial service providers that participated in Ustart, and that's huge. But uh, my biggest question after you start was, okay, how can we accelerate that asset accumulation process? And so that has also been my mantra for this ex expansion. And what we, I thought, I think we, we, we find a very nice um, mix of components. One is uh, in some of our programs, uh, for, that's the case for Ghana, that's the case for the Gambia, um, that's the case. I mean, for all, most of them, with the exception, I guess, for, of Senegal, we have a cash for work component, right? Which actually serves as that very, very first um, um, point for the youth to really start uh, accumulating savings. Uh, in countries like Ghana, we've, we're coupling that cash for work with a, a match with a match savings program. Right. So for every single dollar uh, that the youth saves, UNCDF comes up with uh, matching a percentage of that. Another part could be crowdfunding models and that we're um, testing those models. Uh, we're testing two models, different models in uh, Ghana and one in the Gambia. So that's that's the second one. And now the third one is uh, when it comes to credit. Right. So the biggest question is, okay, is how can we further de-risk the loans for youth and, 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 and make it faster than we did it for the pilot of youth story? And here I guess the answer, the key answer is the use of technology. We are using, for example, in Guinea and uh, in the Gambia, psychometric tests to help financial service providers to better understand the youth that are applying for loans and make decisions, uh, loan decisions much faster and taking into consideration uh, a greater range of uh, indicators that might have been overlooked if they just were using a simple loan uh, application procedure. 
Then also we've been uh, digitizing transactions of young entrepreneurs. That's the case in the Gambia. So by digitizing trans transactions of those businesses, we're basically um, and 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 well and linking them obviously with financial service providers. We're providing a whole range of information to these financial service providers on those businesses that they didn't have before, right? So now that is unlocking further um, uh, private capital for these businesses. I'll give you an example. Um, a project in, in Senegal where we did the digitalization of the banana um, value chain in Casamance. Through that project, we were able to unlock in a couple of months a total of $40,000 in uh, loans for young entrepreneurs. And the last one that was already mentioned by colleagues was the, uh, by Corinne was, is the financial education actually. And um, uh, just always couple, coupling uh, our services, our financial services but with very strong financial education to uh, support the youth to really make informed financial decisions when it comes to financial services. You laid out so many fantastic examples. It's it's really it really speaks to not just the innovation, but the breadth of the work that we are that we are deploying as a collective, um, the EU and, and UNCDF on this critical issue. Um, I think with that, we'll close with a final question. Um, and uh, Maria, so much of what you have laid out really dovetails into the digital strategy of UNCDF. And, it, and it's, a, it's a strategy that recognizes that financial inclusion is merely a means. It is, it is not the goal. A mobile wallet can only do so much on its own. Um, and so the pursuit should be financial health and it should really be um, digital economies that are truly inclusive in a way that people within those economies, of course, including youth, can leverage digital technologies and digital finance to not only achieve their day-to-day -day needs, but to help them achieve what they want to achieve as, as individuals and also be drivers of SDG achievement at the same time. So let's close with just this, que this question. How has the UNCDF digital strategy complemented the work you are doing in the EU in these five countries in West Africa? And what digital innovations are, uh, can we expect to come out of these countries in, in the near future? Sure. I mean, I would I would not say that our digital strategy is complementing our work in these five countries. I would rather say that our work is completely embedded in our digital in our digital strategy. I already mentioned some of the innovations that are coming out of our countries, right? So, crowdfunding is all digital. Psychometric tests, all digital. Uh, all the cash for work uh, payments or all the payments to cash for work beneficiaries are done uh, using digital means. Uh, the chatbots that I forgot to mention, but that were mentioned by uh, Maria Luisa, are, is, is also another digital innovation. Uh, obviously, we're also using digital to build the skills of the youth, right? Uh, all our financial uh, um, education offering is actually digital. Um, we're also, as I mentioned previously in my previous um, 
uh, answer. We're di digitizing all the transactions of young entrepreneurs to make sure um, asymmetries of information are reduced between financial service providers and the, and the youth and, and the young entrepreneurs. Now, in the future, I, I do think there's much more potential for using digital that goes beyond financial services and that can help us even more to unblock or that can help us to unblock much many more private capital, but also to, uh, to uh, that could serve also um, as uh, well, that could help us much better achieve SDG 8, right? Uh, the one for decent work, obviously. So this is the case of super e-commerce platforms, for example, leveraging innovations for the gig economy, uh, making sure those workers really achieve financial health, just as you pointed out during your question, leveraging digital to attract more young people to work in agriculture, for example, leveraging digital to build the skills of youth, um, help them to build networks and get connected to more economic opportunities. Basically, I think digital really have the potential to help us address the main uh, barriers that young people face when it comes to, um, to find a job or to create their uh, own economic opportunities. Uh, but let me maybe uh, just finish this, uh, yeah, this, this, um, <laughs> this answer with, uh, with, another, with another question, David, if you allow me. And I really would like to, for Corinne to have an opportunity to share something about uh, the impact study that, um, uh, that the EU Trust Fund is doing. And I consider this is important because um, it doesn't matter what we do. Uh, if it doesn't really uh, prove that we're having an impact. And I thought that um, giving Corinne the opportunity to share something about that would be great. So if you'll allow me, David, uh, Corinne, would you like to share something about the, imp the impact study that you are being uh, doing? Yeah, thank you, Maria. Uh, j just briefly, because I think it's, uh, as Maria uh, stressed, I think it's a, it's a very important initiative that would definitely strengthen our partnership, not only with UNCDF, but with also with other implementing partners we are working with. So I just wanted to say that at the EUTF team um, in Brussels, we are now about to launch a, a vast counterfactual impact evaluation study on nine programs um, in seven countries, including three countries where UNCDF is involved, um, Ghana, Senegal, and the Gambia. And actually the green project will be one of the main uh, projects that will be part of the study. We're talking about quasi-experimental field research study that will enable us to learn more about the additional aspect of the financial education integrated in a technical TVET program, for example, or to what extent the saving component of a cash for work program is beneficial to future business setup. So this is the very simple questions that we are aiming at responding with, with this vast um, research that we are launching. And uh, I would just suggest now that we meet again in three years time for the lesson learned. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for, for that. And Maria, thank you for uh, the intervention. I, th I think it's a perfect way to close. I think we can always talk about uh, our innovations and aspirations, but I think the fact that we can document impact is, of course, 
critical uh, in the effort to, uh, again, present what we're doing on the ground as, as precisely what we should be transferring to other countries as well. So thank you so much to the, thank you so much to, to everybody. I thought this was, again, a, a, not just an insightful um, discussion, but truly important uh, as we are, um, as we engage in the conversation regarding what kind of international community do we need and what innovations do we need, again, to ensure that we leave no one behind. So I wanna thank everyone that gave us their time today, uh, Ms. Corinne Salinas, Ms. Maria Luisa Trancoso, Ms. Lumana Kamashi, and Ms. Maria Perdomo. For all of you, for the, again, for just giving your time today uh, to this podcast. Um, Capital Musings is a product of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. It is produced by Fernando Tharauth. I'm your host, David McHale. Thanks for joining, and we'll be back soon.